0: Because I like the stories of Elijah. But you may be thinking Elijah, really? Elijah lived 2,800 years ago. I mean, is it still applicable? Haven't we advanced beyond that? Aren't we more sophisticated now? Well, 1,900 years ago, James, the half brother of Jesus, thought that Elijah was still applicable. So that's uh, centuries closer. And I'm thinking that there are still some things we can learn from Elijah. On the other hand, Elijah was the focus of a number of God's miracles. And if you've read the story of Elijah, it's, it's legendary. The guy comes out, he's bigger than life. He's like a superhero. You think, that was a long time ago. Does God still do that? How much of that really applies? I don't expect to go out and call down fire from heaven. I don't expect to hang out in a widow's house and have her jar of meal last however long I'm there. I don't expect ravens to bring me food. He had to get to the end of his life and God took him to heaven in a fiery chariot. That's, that's kind of a special thing. Not very many people can say that. And then Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And who meets him there? Moses and Elijah. He's in a very very distinct category of people. But James tells us that Elijah was a man like us. Elijah had the same issues we have. Granted, they were our issues of 2,800 years earlier. He didn't have internet crashing. He didn't have global warming, and everything else. But he had the same sort of personal stuff that we had. And we're going to see in this story today a very human side of Elijah. And I want to put you in the context of The passage because it's so easy to read it with 21st century eyes and miss a lot of very fascinating stuff. So, at the beginning of the passage, Ahab told Jezebel what Elijah had done. And what had Elijah done? He'd just have a showdown with 400 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. You can go there and see the place where the well was where he got the water to pour on the offering. It's still there. I think the well still pumps water, too. Very cool. Jezebel was not happy about this because those were her prophets that all got slain over there. The bottom line of that story was God came through and Baal didn't, and Baal lost, and uh, Jezebel was very upset about this, And she sends this threat to Elijah and says, so may the gods do to me if I don't take you out by this time tomorrow. Guess what? She didn't. And the gods didn't do to her because she was swearing by things that aren't powerful. But she wasn't bluffing. Jezebel really would have killed him if she could have got him. She'd already been responsible for the deaths of plenty of faithful followers of the one God of Israel. She worshipped Baal and Ashtoreth and led the, the, uh, the Israelites to do the same thing. And you think, well, okay, okay so what's the big deal about that? Well, uh, let's talk about that a little bit. How about you s- your worship services are basically orgies, it's fertility. Worship. How about human sacrifice? Child sacrifice. Things that God repeatedly says in the Old Testament. Not only did I not tell you to do that, it never even crossed my mind. And here you are worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth and sacrificing your kids to them? It's no wonder God was ticked. So Jezebel was bad business, and Ahab was not the man of the family, he did not wear the pants in the household. Jezebel did. There are other stories in there where she tells him what to do, and he does it. There's a great word in English called uxorious, which is a very fancy word meaning henpecked. <laughs> Ahab was uxorious. And Elijah was afraid for his life. Good reason. She's going to have him done by this time Tomorrow. And he runs for his life. And it says, he ran for his life and he went to Beersheba. Okay? This is where the text comes and it gets a little, if you do a little homework, you go, wow, really? Because it sounds like, well, he was afraid and he ran down to the the pantry in Delhi (laughs) to hide. Beersheba was 100 miles away. South toward the desert. And he probably ran most of the way. So he was legitimately scared. He has just had the biggest success of his life. God sent fire from heaven and consumed not only the offering that Elijah had made in front of the prophets of Baal. But he also, this fire from God also consumed the firewood the offering, the rocks, the water that he poured on it. And here's the prophets of Baal going, we got nothing. (laughs) And now he's afraid for his life and he's running a hundred miles to Beersheba. Part of you goes, you know, you just saw God do this. Why don't you go to Jezebel and go, oh yeah." yeah. I don't know. I didn't have to stand in his sandals. He gets there and he's depressed. He's got a servant who also must have been in good shape because he ran all the way to Beersheba with him. And he says, you stay here, I'm going out there. Why? So he could be alone. He's that depressed. He wants to be alone and he wants to plead with God. What does he want to plead with God about? I want to die. This lady with all the power in the nation is hunting my head. As far as I know, I'm the only one left, okay? Kill me. I am no better than my fathers. I've done what you asked me to do. Just take me home. For the Jews, suicide was an abomination. It was not an option. Elijah couldn't do himself in. So he says, Lord, you do it. You take me. This is is your department anyway. I'm just voting you do it now. And he lays down under a boom tree broom tree apparently is also a juniper tree. I had a problem with that as a kid. I'm thinking, (laughs) really? I thought you had to make them. I didn't know you just picked them off the trees. And I'm guessing that he's thinking, I just want to go to sleep and not wake up. That would be nice. Great way to go. Sign me up. But get up, Elijah. Get up and eat. He's in the middle of nowhere. And here's an angel. And he brought food, so it's angel food. <laughs> and it says, a cake. I hope it was chocolate. No, okay, this is this is bread. This is probably an unleavened cake of bread. Cooked on, who, who did that? Who brought, you know, this is like divine catering. And a jug of water. Well, he's, he's a day's journey out into the desert. This is probably very welcome stuff. So he eats, he drinks, goes back to sleep. Fine, I'll die contented. Let me take me now while i'm sleeping get up and eat or the journey's going to be too much for you what journey i don't want to go anywhere i want to be done with this he eats he drinks and he goes on another journey and this must have been really good food because it says on the strength of that food he went 40 days and 40 nights this doesn't sound like ordinary Tang and space food sticks from the 60s. This sounds like serious divine assistance he's getting. And then it says, oh, and he went to Mount Horeb. How far is that? That's 200 miles. It's desert. He went 40 days and 40 nights through desert for 200 miles on refreshments brought by an angel under a juniper tree. And he gets there, and God says, What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) Didn't you tell me to come here? I'm expecting. The text doesn't say so, but I don't think he just went to Horeb on a whim. I think God told him because the angel said, Eat because the journey will be too much for you. What journey? We're not told. Had to be the journey to Horeb. So he goes to Mount Horeb, another 200 miles. What are you doing here? And he gives him his answer. I have been very zealous for the Lord. You want to know what I've done? My neck is on the line, okay? Thanks for the fire on Mount Carmel. That was really cool. But you know what? They're trying to kill me now. And I didn't sign up for all of this. And I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. At least he uses, you know, a big title for him. So he doesn't really want to tick him off. For the children of Israel have all forsaken their covenant. You, above all people, know this, God. You keep telling them, I gave you a covenant. This is how you're supposed to behave and I'll bless you. And you don't. So I have to get your attention. Again. And they've torn down your altars. They don't want to worship you anymore. They want to worship this Baal and Ashtoreth thing. And they've killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek to take my life away. Okay, that sounds pretty convincing. But A, he's talking to God, who's probably not impressed by much. And if you go back a chapter, you realize he's not exactly alone, because it talks about a hundred prophets that a godly man named Obadiah hid so that Jezebel wouldn't find them. And he's been providing them with food and water and stuff in their places of hiding. So unless Jezebel has found them and slaughtered them, which is entirely possible, then Elijah is not really alone. But Elijah is the one that everybody's heard of. Elijah is the one that every time he goes back and Ahab sees him, Ahab goes, oh, are you back, you bane of the country? You curse of the nation of Israel? You thorn in my flesh? I'd do something about you except my wife's in charge, so I can't. And it wasn't that God didn't know why he was there. I think God wanted Elijah to hear it. God knew why he was there. God knew what his attitude was. God knew why he left his servant 300 miles away. I wonder if the servant's, what he's doing. Where's is, is my boss? My boss left like weeks ago. I don't know. Go find another job. Hmm. Elijah is the foremost spokesman for God. He's the one that the king and the queen are really, really hunting for. He feels like he is alone. Can you relate? Are you ever in a crowd, and the crowd all wants to go do something stupid, and you go, I really don't want to be doing that. I want to be doing... I want to be doing not that, and I want to find a really gracious way to get out of this situation so it's not embarrassing, but I don't want to do that. Or you take a bold step and you do the right thing, the godly thing, the what would Jesus do thing. And you feel like you're the only one who cares to do that, who thinks to do that, and not only that, but you did it, and did anybody notice? It was just, and I don't know that anything came of it. Was it a total waste of time? Maybe that's what Elijah's thinking. Yeah, it was just this great showdown on Mount Carmel. Fire from the sky, yeah, yeah. The nation of Israel is still not worshiping God. Yeah, they, 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 they said a lot of stuff on Mount Carmel, but if you follow through the rest of history, they didn't live it up. live up to it. They went back to their debaucheries you will promise a lot of things when fire comes out of heaven and soaks up rocks and water. So God tells Elijah, come out and stand before the Lord. <laughs> well, what would you do? I'd do it, I think my knees would shake a lot. And God sent a great wind. This is not your average wind. It tore into the mountain and broke rocks. I don't know how fast the wind has to go to break rocks, but I'm guessing it's more than we've ever seen. Even 233 miles an hour on Mount Washington did not break rocks and tear the mountain apart. It did blow the anemometer off, but. Uh, but God wasn't in the wind. Interesting. So then God sends an earthquake. Well, where's Elijah? He's in the front of a cave on a mountain. The mountain was coming apart because the wind just started taking it apart, and now we've got an earthquake. Guess what? If you're in a cave in an earthquake, that is not a good place to be because poof, things come down and you're done, which is what he prayed for back under the broom tree, but I'm not sure he's still in that frame of mind, and God was not in the earthquake. And then A fire doesn't say much about the fire, but I'm assuming it was probably big like the other stuff. God isn't going to send like a can of sterno and try and impress him. This was probably a big deal. But God was not in the fire. And then, a still, small voice. And what I want to know is, what did he say? We don't know. Whatever it was, Elijah takes his mantle, his cloak, and he puts it over his face. If God is out there at the front of this cave, he probably, when the fire and all this stuff hit, went back into the cave. It's cooler back there when the fire is raging. If God is out there, I don't want to see him face to face, because what? I'll die. Okay, I was ready to do that before, but I'm not ready to do that now. He's talking to me now. I think, he's a humble man. His attention has been gotten What does the small voice mean? Why did God do all these epic things and then show up like this? Maybe God knows Elijah's heart. I'm thinking. And Elijah might just be thinking, you know, God, you just did the whole Mount Carmel thing with the fire from the sky. Can't you do that for the whole nation and bring this whole nation back to you? And what are you waiting for? And I think God wants to maybe show Elijah, you know what, I don't always work that way. I can work that way. Let me show you. Let's have wind. Let's have earthquakes. Let's have fire. But sometimes I don't work that way. Sometimes I work in a still, small voice. And if I had to make my guess, I'm thinking God works that way most of the time. Miracles like Elijah's day still happen but they're not the norm that's why they call miracles if it happened every day it would be like ordinaries and that isn't it most of the time it's jesus builds his his kingdom one life at a time and one life is changed by one situation at a time and that's how god normally works and maybe that's something that Elijah needed to learn. You know, Elijah, just because you don't see me doing all of this stuff in big Hollywood 3D fashion doesn't mean I'm not working. So Elijah, why are you still here? And Elijah gives him the same thing, but I'm thinking, and you don't get this in the text, I'm thinking it's more like, ah, oh, I've been very zealous for the Lord God. Um I'm the only one left, I think, maybe. Okay, maybe not. Maybe I'm bluffing my way through this. But, and God says, okay, enough. We've chatted. Here's some marching orders. And I love this because when Elijah has twice stated his case, God hasn't answered his plea yet. He says, I alone am serving you. In this entire nation of your chosen people. And God says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back up to Damascus. Wait a minute, another map thing. At 300 miles. Because he came 100 miles, and the 200 miles. Now he's got to go all the way back. See if he can find his servant who's now probably driving a taxi for somebody else. And, oh yeah, on your way up, you're going to anoint this one, and this one, and this one. To do various things. Oh yeah, by the way, Elijah... <coughs> 7,000 people who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000 faithful who have not kissed his idol. You are not the only one. Therein, for me, that's the bottom line right here. How often do I feel like I am am the only one doing this? No. No. Just because God didn't send fire and earthquakes and, and wind into the circles of my life does not mean he is not working. And if I look patiently, I can see some evidence that actually he is, which is kind of exciting. Yeah, I'd like the earthquake and the fire thing, but I'm not going to require it. And he's telling Elijah, Elijah, I don't always do that. I work in this still, small voice. And you got 7,000 other people who are on your side. So what? So what profound thoughts do we take home for our lives? One, you are not alone. Maybe it feels like it. Maybe there are situations. You're the only one in your office. You're the only one in your club. You're the only one on your bus route. Whatever. But you're not the only one. I'm guessing in this country there are more than 7,000 who would stand by you. You might have to hunt for them, but they're there. And as for, you do your good deeds and you go, was that a waste of time? Anybody actually notice that? Guess what? Yes. They did. Jesus did. Of all of the good things that you've ever done, guess how many of them Jesus missed? How do I know that? Matthew chapter 10 says, Jesus said, you give a cup of cold water in my name, you will not fail to get a reward. Really? A cup of cold water? If you put that in context, when you live in the Middle East, a cup of cold water is a pretty big deal. It's pretty hot there. A cup of cold water wasn't easy to come by necessarily in Jesus' day. But the point is, it didn't cost much You didn't have to go out and buy somebody something. And Jesus still sees it. And he knows your heart. And then the other is Matthew 25. Jesus is talking about the sheep and the goats. This is judgment day. Everybody is going to stand before Jesus. And he's either going to say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Which to me is the most chilling passage in scripture to think you have spent your whole life doing stuff to impress him and he goes I never knew you and then to those that are coming to heaven come into the joy of your master and what does he base this on when I was hungry you fed me when I was thirsty you gave me drink when I was naked you clothed me when I was sick and in prison you visited me And the ones that he says this to, enter into the joy of your master, this is what you did, and they're going, um, when did we do that? I don't remember doing it. Some of the good deeds that you do are so small, you won't remember them. Guess who does? And guess who's got rewards? And guess who cares about the little things that apparently nobody else cared about? Jesus does. He doesn't miss anything. So, serve boldly, faithfully. Your Father in Heaven sees your service. And remember, you are never alone. Amen.